0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church.
1: The sermon text for today is Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go. And proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord.
0: This is the last of a series of five messages. Explaining our strategy for spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. And our strategy for doing this is by the grace of God to make disciples of Jesus Christ who gladly glorify God together in five lifelong priorities worship, belong, grow, serve, and go. We aim to make disciples who worship, who belong, who grow, who serve, and who go. So now we're on go this morning, and I'm going to read the the statement. Since the Lord Jesus Christ has commissioned us to make disciples, let us, in confident reliance on his enabling presence, Devote ourselves as a church to go in compassion to the peoples in our neighborhoods and the nations. You can hear some of the scriptures that undergird that sentence. The Great Commission, both with the sending to make disciples, go make disciples, as well as the promise of Jesus to be with us always. Embedded in it is the call to love our neighbors. It's where the compassion comes from. The promise of the Holy Spirit to enable our witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth is reflected in the in the phrase in the neighborhoods, locally near, and the nations far. There's other verses that influenced that. But what would what would a uh, a lifelong commitment to go look like in a church like this with a mission like that? What would it look like? It would be a people with an unwavering passion to see God glorified throughout the earth, near and far, all over the globe, among all peoples everywhere. It would be a people with a steady corporate commitment to raise up and prepare and train and send and cheerfully support global partners to go throughout the earth, even to the ends of the earth, but as well, local outreach ministry ministers to go to the neighborhoods with the gospel and to go to the campuses with the gospel. It would be a a people with a steady personal commitment to pray for the salvation of our unbelieving family members and friends and neighbors and preaching to myself. It would be a people filled with a God-given love and courage, faith to speak the gospel, to speak the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We must speak the gospel. We must proclaim the gospel for any to be saved. It would be a people with a steady commitment to gladly support the spreading of the gospel through sacrificial giving to this church, through our various outreach avenues, locally and on campuses and church planting and globally. You may have seen this in the last newsletter that came out that, that now is the window. We've worked out all the details for the Bethesda Purchase the prop, the purchase of the Bethesda Missionary Baptist Church property on 8th Street here. We've worked out all the details now. The closing date is set for about two weeks from now. And what the newsletter is saying is what I'm saying right now is, now's the time to give. Uh, many of you have expressed a, de- a desire to give, and so we're calling, now's the time to give. We weren't, we were saying, don't give yet. Now we're saying, now's the time to give in order to reduce the amount of debt that we that we will incur once we close on the property in about two weeks. So now's the time to give. There'll be other opportunities to give, but I'm just dinging the bell that now's the time to give. You know, you think, why are we investing in Minneapolis? Minneapolis is so broken. That's why. Other people are leaving. We're digging in, you know, kind of like Russia. You know, digging in. We're going to be here. And by the grace of God, we're trusting and praying. God will use that, those inches of property, the the building there, for the glory of his name for decades to come through this church. Toward that end, my aim is to call us to a lifelong commitment to discipleship priority number five. Go. Go. And of the many texts that I could have chosen to <laughs> to underscore that priority, I chose our text from Luke 9 for two, reas- two, two reasons. One is it s- succinctly states the essence of priority five in a way that I found compelling. And also it serves as a as a nice bridge back into our series in the Gospel of Luke. We'll jump back into Luke 8 next week. So, Father, help us now as we look into your word. I do pray for a, a, a new, renewed, special grace in embracing a, a lifelong commitment, personally and corporately, to go and make disciples near and far, for the glory of your name. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So now, in our text, Jesus and the twelve disciples are walking to Jerusalem. Jesus has told them that he's going to Jerusalem to give up his life, and as they walk, they encounter different people who are coming to Jesus, wanting to hear his teaching and probably be healed, and with a desire to follow him. And Luke's gospel is clear that to follow Jesus means to receive Jesus in faith as the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior sent by God to bring about forgiveness of our sins and reconcile us to God by his death. And to follow Jesus is to follow him as supreme, most important, the greatest treasure. To believe in Him is to treasure Him, and to follow Him is to treasure Him. Above all the, all the other treasures that we have in our lives. So following is an is ultimate call. Everything else is secondary, or less than secondary. Think about the situations... We saw Peter and Andrew and John and James drop everything when Jesus said, follow me. Same with Matthew, the tax collector, or Levi, his other name, left everything to follow Jesus. Here's, here's the thing. When we trust Jesus, receive him in faith, and set about, set about following him in faith, we quickly find that that creates conflicts with our other treasures that we have had in our lives because receiving him as our treasure creates this tension even with many good things that we find ourselves needing to say no to or put in its secondary place in order to follow Jesus as supreme and our ultimate treasure. That's what Jesus said. It's up in verse 23, if you just look back in the chapter. He said, to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? Following Jesus, coming after him, means denying ourselves, saying no to our other treasures, taking up our cross and following Jesus as our ultimate treasure, our hope, our joy. So now Jesus and his disciples are going along the road. Verse 57 says they're heading to Jerusalem and they encounter three would-be disciples. And Jesus' conversation with each of the three helps clarify the cost and the self-denial Entailed in following Jesus. The other way I could say it is, if Jesus is your treasure, it will impinge. It will cause you to deny yourself certain things. And each of these three pre- represents this self-denial entailed in following Jesus, in trusting Jesus, receiving Him as our treasure. So the first one says to Jesus, this is verse 57, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds pretty good. And yet the reply of Jesus reveals something. Jesus takes this more as, I got to test this. I mean, actually, Andrew Ballard read that really well (laughs) in our scripture reading. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replies, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Will you really follow me? What does Jesus mean? I think he means... Following Jesus will involve the loss of home in at least two senses. Number one, you will never again have the sense that your home is here, in this place, in this nation, in this world, on your block. It will never be the same. And secondly, what little comfort, whatever measures of comfort you can Extract from the home you now live in may be taken away if and when the day comes when your friends and family hate you and you are persecuted for the name of Jesus. Jesus found no hospitality in the Samaritan village he passed through in verse 51, and likewise. All who follow Jesus must be willing to take up our crosses in order to receive the world's rejection. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus was persecuted, so his followers will be persecuted. Such things are happening all over the world right now, every day, in varying degrees. I'll give you one illustration. This came on Wednesday. Last Wednesday morning, about 5.40 a.m., in the plateau State of Nigeria a pastor and two other Christians were kidnapped by armed men from their home a witness reported the terrorists broke into the premises and kidnapped the pastor Uzman Umaru along with another man and woman and I have no update from there it just happened they were home Open Doors reports that over 5,000 Christians were killed in Nigeria last year, making it the sixth most difficult place for Christians in the world. Morningstar News reports, Nigeria also has led the world in Christians abducted, almost 5,000, assaulted, harassed, forcibly married, Physically and mentally abused, and had the most homes and businesses attacked for faith based reasons. I will follow you wherever you go. Will you really? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you treasure the comforts of home more than Jesus? Are you more satisfied with your sense of rest and peace? you get in, inside your house watching Netflix and, and uh, just sitting there, just sat. it's all homey and wonderful? And, and Jesus says following him will, will threaten that. So if you value that more than him, you won't follow him. But if you follow him, John 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Give up the earthly home, For the better treasure of home with God and home with Christ. So, what Jesus is saying to the first of the would be disciples is to follow me, you must treasure me more than you love the comforts and peace and acceptance you enjoy in your present earthly home. Second man comes. And says, well, first, Jesus says, follow me to him first. You see that's in verse 59. And then, then the man says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, in Jesus' day, this was both a family and religious obligation of the highest priority with very few exceptions. To leave this undone, the burying of your father would be considered unthinkable in almost all cases, even shameful, and so too in our day. I mean, to oversee the, the burial of your own father is, is a basic family obligation. I've done it. The text doesn't say whether the father has already died or has several years left to live and it doesn't matter to Jesus. Jesus didn't even ask. Is your father dead? How old is he? He doesn't, it doesn't matter. Jesus answers the man with this, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. There's a play on words here. Uh, Jesus is saying, leave the spiritually dead to bury their own physically dead. In other words, funeral arrangements can be made by unbelievers. Let them do that. But this really landed on me. But for my disciples, there is a greater and more urgent obligation to climb into it. I'm thinking... My dad dies, I dropped everything. I'm dealing, I'm oriented on this. Jesus is saying here to his disciples, to his followers, to those who treasure him, there is a greater, more urgent obligation than that. Verse 60, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. We ought to feel the greater importance and obligation and urgency of going to proclaim the gospel more than we feel the urgency and importance and obligation of burying our own parents. I get it, Jesus. I'm hearing to you. Give us grace to make it so. Jesus demands absolute supremacy as Lord. Even the most important family duties and obligations take second place. To he his call. And, and the point is, is not to make a general rule that, well, Christians don't oversee their parents' funerals. That you'd miss the point. The point here, it, it's like Jesus with the, uh, the rich young ruler. Remember, Jesus puts his finger on the one thing that's keeping the rich young ruler from, from trusting and treasuring and believing in Jesus. He says, go sell everything you have. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he would not give up his money for Jesus. That's what's going on here. Jesus is putting his finger on the very thing that is keeping this man from following him, from treasuring Christ. Let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. Proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. So following Jesus entails laying down our most urgent and important Obligations and subordinating them to the most urgent and most important obligation of going out and proclaiming the kingdom, the gospel. A third man comes to Jesus and says, This is verse 61 I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. I mean, you feel the the tension in this sentence? I will follow you, Lord, but... First, let me say farewell to those who are at my home. And from Jesus' response, we can infer that he hears in this, a, double-minded, a double-mindedness, a waffling, a, a half-hearted duplicity. The man wants to follow Jesus, but he wants to go home and say, say goodbye. And, and this time, the tension's not with a, you know, the funeral obligation of burying a father, but it's more general than that, just the pull to go back home. Jesus replies, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Literally, the phrase is, no one who looks unto the things behind is fit for the kingdom. So I said, the problem here that Jesus is seeing in this third man is a double-minded, a longing for that which he is leaving behind as he heads out to follow Jesus. Jesus uses the illustration. He's, you know, such duplicity is like a, a man plowing a field who's looking backward and he thinks he's going to plow straight. you would say you're driving a car. You can't do it mindful of Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife? Lot and his family are saved by the mercy of God from God's judgment over the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're, they're leaving the city. They, they have been saved by God. They, they're, they're coming out, and the fire is falling, and Lot's wife turns around, longing for the old life, and she turns to a pillar of salt. give you an illustration from from one of the great missionaries C.T. Stud went to China and he also served as a missionary in India and Africa but he was a professional cricket player in England and he was also one of the seven the Cambridge Seven students who in 1885 committed to being missionaries to China together and uh, reading from a biography entitled C.T. Studd, Cricketeer and Pioneer, listen to the... What do I call it? Listen to his treasuring Christ over the pull of home. And in this case, in particular, the pull of his mother. As he sensed God's call to go, he writes in his diary, I felt that there was one thing alone which could keep me from going, and that was the love of my mother. But I read that passage, quote, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, after which I knew that it was God's will. And I decided to go. But that wasn't the end of it. When his family members heard of it, even believers sought to discourage him. He writes, Then came the big test. This is, from, this is the author of the biography. Then came the big test. He met with the strongest opposition from his own family. Every persuasion was used even to the extent of bringing in Christian workers to dissuade him quoting from stud even a relation whose witness had been a great blessing to me said one evening charlie i think you're making a great mistake you are you are away every night at meetings and you do not see your mother i see her and this is just breaking her heart i think you're wrong don't go to china Stud writes, I said, let's ask God. I don't want to be pig-headed and go out there on my own accord. So we got down on our knees and put the whole matter in God's hands. That night, I could not get to sleep, but it seemed as though I heard someone say these words over and over, ask of me and I will give thee the nations for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And I knew it was God's voice speaking to me and that I had received my marching orders and boom, he went. He had this big inheritance. He gave it all away to missions to go, to give his life in China and then India and Africa. So... In this conversation with this third would-be disciples, Jesus is saying, to follow me, you must treasure me more than all those you leave behind. Follow me. The Apostle Paul expressed this, didn't he? When he said this in Philippians 3.13, he said, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So now I push back and I'm going to close. And what I want to do is sew all five of these messages together. You know, in embracing the call to go, this priority to go, we've we've come full circle. Because, I mean, truth be told, you know this is true. We are believers because somebody answered the call to go. Somebody came to us and spoke the gospel to us. A parent, a youth worker, a friend, a grandparent, a missionary. Somebody came and proclaimed the gospel to you. That's why you believe. And God gave you new life in Christ. And, and having been born again to, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, you became a worshiper devoted to the glory of God and committed to the gathering with God's people and others, family members, to worship Him your whole life long. And you became devoted to belonging to one another because, by God's grace, you belong to God, and we all belong to God together. And number three, you... Devoted yourself to growing in grace and knowledge of God through his word because he put his word inside of us to feed us so that we would grow and feed on it and taste and see that he is good. That's number three. Number four. <laughs> you became devoted to serving one another in love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And full circle. As God's people, worshipers, those who belong to Him and to one another, growing in grace, serving one another, we commit ourselves to go and make disciples of others. This is how Christianity (laughs) got to us through the ages. Gospel comes, a people form, gather, worship, belong, growing, serving, going. Planting a new church, making more disciples, on and on through the ages. So, this is the cycle. This is our strategy by which we labor to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. To pray for grace for us, that God would empower us in these priorities toward that mission for the glory of his name and the joy of all peoples. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word. Thanks for the church. Thanks for the local church. Thanks for this particular local church. Not that we're any better than any other local church, just this particular one that we live in and we enjoy and we benefit from, that we're a part of. And I pray for new measures of grace for Bethlehem as we, as we step forward now into the future that you, we know all authority has been given to Christ and he promises to be with us in this mission. So give us courage and confidence that you're for us and not against us. You're with us in this mission and you will keep us to the end. Pray in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church